All right, and welcome back to Favorite Things with Mark and Betsy. Yeah. Um, so this week we are diverting from the world of espionage and international uh, sexism and misogyny uh, to head over to the world of child endangerment <laughs> and wizardry. Um, still British, uh, still problematic, just in entirely different ways. But it's fun. I, mean, I know you say the same thing about James Bond. But yes. It's, it's a lot of fun and... I don't know. I enjoy it. Uh, before we get started, uh, just to give you guys a brief heads up. Uh, so we'll be doing this for the next eight weeks. At some point between now and Christmas, we're going to do a double feature with the first two Daniel Craig, James Bond movies. Uh, outside of that, we'll be talking here and there about the things we're enjoying or looking forward to. Uh, and I hope you'll stick around leave us a positive review on iTunes uh, or on your favorite podcast service of choice. If you want to leave a negative review, uh, please write it down on paper, fold it up, throw it away, and forget about it. <laughs> uh, we appreciate your download all the same. Yes. <laughs> uh, but this week, I just wanted to make a brief note that today is, uh, that we're recording this, is October 12th. We are one month out from the PlayStation 5 launch, and I could not be more excited. You're like a kid waiting for Christmas Day to oh, come. Oh, absolutely. Hoping to catch a glimpse of Santa Claus. Oh, I've, I've got my pre-order in. We'll see if they're able to fulfill it. Uh... We'll see if it's able to get here uh, on launch day or if I'll be waiting a week or two. It There's going to be a lot of traffic that day as far as packages, so I understand if it doesn't come on the day. But, man, am I looking forward to that system coming out. I'm looking to, forward to the cool new thing. Ordinarily, when it comes to tech, I, I wait a little bit, and I, I get it after it's been out for a while. Yeah. And, honestly, right now, while we don't have any kids, while we don't have crushing financial obligations it's nice to be able to make this move and go ahead and and purchase this realistically once we have children i will never be able to do this ever <laughs> ever again uh, for a multitude of reasons yeah. one it, it will at the time be prohibitively expensive but for another we will have children and the thought of having an expensive piece of tech laying around for them to destroy <laughs> just scares the fire out of me yeah. so uh, not looking forward to that. I am very much looking forward to having a child. Very much looking forward to having this system. Uh, both of those things are kind of separate from yes. each other. Uh, but I am I am super excited. Um, that said, if we were to get placement with the child before uh, the system came in, I would still be very excited for the system. Yeah. But I think ho I would hope a little bit more excited about the kid. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we know most of you have tuned in uh, to hear us talk. We appreciate that. Uh, we appreciate you telling your friends about us, whether it's uh, you genuinely think they would enjoy hearing our input uh, on uh, movies, pop culture, video games, or if you think it's a funny prank to turn them on to meandering people. <laughs> just talking about something they have absolutely no uh, business talking about. So, um, <laughs> to be fair, we will try to keep our politics limited to the uh, items that we're watching. Uh, yeah. We will try not to rant about things outside of that. Should the outside invade our, uh, our pop culture, though, 
watch out. Just letting you know. <laughs> so with that said, uh, what did you think this week? This is the first Harry Potter film uh, released almost 20 years ago. Uh, next year, uh, the day after my birthday, actually, not on my birthday, but the day after my birthday, uh, will be its 20th anniversary. Wow. So That's crazy to me to think that it's 20 years old. Of course, I never watched it until I met you. Yes. Um, so you introduced me to Harry Potter. Um, but no, I really, I love it. And I love that it's, you know, it doesn't have every new gadget and all that stuff in it. As you pointed out, there's no cell phones or... Mm -hmm. Weird, you know, things like that because this is actually from the early 90s. So, uh, so the, the time period for it. The author, and at some point in the books as well, I believe, uh, have gone on record as saying that the events of these books take place between uh, roughly 1991 uh, for the first point where Harry is of age to go to Hogwarts uh, all the way up to 1998 is when the books take place. Yeah. Um, which is a nice framing device. The yeah. first books came out in the 90s uh, in Great Britain. Very popular, came out in the US, just as popular here. Yeah. Um, I was doing a little research. Uh, according to the research I've found online, um, mind you, nothing online has ever been falsified. <laughs> uh, Scholastic Books, who were the publishers for uh, the Harry Potter series in the US, uh, did not like the title of the Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, which is the title of the first book. Uh -huh. So they changed it to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone because they thought it sounded cooler. Uh, J.K. Rowling has gone on uh, record as saying that had she ha felt like she had more of a voice at the time, she would have pushed back against the change. Uh, but for the record, she did not. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, when they made this movie, any reference to the Philosopher's Stone uh, was had two versions filmed. Uh, there was a version filmed where they would say uh, the Sorcerer's Stone, a version where they would say the Philosopher's Stone. Uh, and then... <laughs> Uh, as many times as they would, they could get away with, they would just call it the stone. Yeah. Our cat is trying to... She's trying to wrap herself up in a blanket, I, I guess. I don't know if she's trying to wrap herself up in it or if she thinks it's a cave and she's going into she's it. She's trying to climb into the folds. It's just really weird watching it. It's a nice fuzzy blanket. So. <laughs> yes. So, anyway. Regardless. Um, it's just funny. <laughs> it is funny. Sorry, I started laughing and he looked over. Now she's so. like, okay. Anyway. Um... Now that you you and our cat have our attention, yes. Um, but no, I, I enjoyed this one. It was I remember the the first time um, first time we watched it. It was like nothing I expected. I expected. Um, I don't know. I had all the voices on one side of me saying, "Oh, Harry Potter's, you know, this bad evil thing." Mm -hmm. um, so don't watch it. Don't do anything it's so, just it's just evil and so when i finally you talked me into watching so for, it for the record for our listeners uh <laughs> we both come from very conservative not the most conservative but yeah. very conservative uh, religious upbringings yeah um and we still hold fast to a great uh bit of the religious part of our upbringing uh -huh. um but the conservative side is something that's kind of fallen by the wayside yeah. uh as as far as how we've grown and changed as becoming adults and, and stepping into our own thought yeah. processes. But, but yeah. But yeah, so you 
you said, no, you need to watch Harry Potter. It's good. And I'm like, okay. And so I had this expectation of it being one thing. And I was just mesmerized by it. And it wasn't, you know, it was no different than any other Disney movie I grew up watching. Yes. With its magic and all that. I'm like, it was just, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. And um, one thing about watching it, you know, an hour ago, um, I'm very upset about it because apparently I'm more tired than I thought. And I fell asleep during the most intense parts of the movie. So I'm like, oh, wait, it's been a while to see it. What just happened? What did I miss? But That's all right. It's, it's so, still something I really, I really enjoy these movies. So, so the sleeping notwithstanding. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we own this movie. So yeah, whenever I, you want to go back, I can go back and watch absolutely it. Absolutely, go back and watch <laughs> it. Um, but for me, Harry Potter was this phenomenon that kind of came through when I was in uh, middle school, uh, as far as the U S concerned, but it came through and it was this thing that was everywhere and there was controversy everywhere, never really in my house, uh, Mm -hmm. but everywhere. Um, and so about the time the fourth book came out, uh, the first movie, this movie was about to come out. Uh, I was at the library and I checked out the first book, read it all the way through and really enjoyed it. Uh, it was really good. It was really good piece of, we'll call it young adult fiction, uh, or children's fiction. Uh, I'd say that anyone who's over the age of 10 could read, read this book very easily. It's a very easy, very compelling read. Um, it follows the classic hero's journey, uh, narrative to a T. Uh, and I'll have some notes about that when we get into the movie proper, but, uh, as a young man, it was, it was a very compelling read. I read the first two, uh, books in the series, uh, before kind of moving on to other things. Uh, but I watched all of the movies as they would come out. I've only seen two or three of them in theaters, uh, but the rest I saw as soon as they hit home video. And it was always, <coughs> bless you, it was always a joy to watch these uh, because it was, it was something different. It was something decidedly un-American. Mm-hmm. It was something quirky and and fun and uh we'll talk a little bit about uh the feelings i get from this now versus watching it younger that i got um but uh this is this is a fun series it it's one that i recommend this movie and the first book uh honestly about the age of 10 or 11 um and each subsequent book or movie i recommend for the next year up Mm -hmm. if you can space them but uh, if you want to take them all in one go, hey, more power to you. Uh, whatever works for you. Uh, the movies have ratings that you can follow or not. You're yeah. a, an adult, hopefully. And if you're a child listening to us, uh, thank you. And we're sorry for all the inappropriate things that we said. <laughs> um, but I, I do believe that this is one of those pieces of pop culture um, that for a large subsect of the generations that were coming right behind mine, uh, this this was their Star Wars uh, as far as pop culture property mm-hmm. that came out. Uh, the biggest reason I remember this movie is because, ironically, uh, it was one of the first movies attached to the Star Wars Episode Two trailer. Uh, the trailer was much better than the movie. Um, <laughs> I also remember it because it came out a month before uh, the Lord of the Rings uh, first film, and 
that was a much bigger deal to me at the time because I read the first Lord of the Rings book. I was ready for it going in and then I was hyped the whole time. Yeah. Um, and at the time I didn't appreciate Harry Potter as much because I was all in on Lord of the Rings. Oh, I see. So this is very different, but yeah. it still appeals to that good versus evil, heroic, mm -hmm. magical, otherworldly type yeah. story that I don't know. It's it's a lot of fun. It's uh, it's kind of interesting to me that uh, on Freeform, formerly ABC Family, formerly Fox Family, formerly the Family Channel, um, <laughs> is uh, usually we'll put this film on around Halloween and Christmas time. Yeah. And uh, I get the Halloween uh, Christmas. There's a section of the movie that takes place at Christmas. It does have some of the the haunting yet um, meaningful yet whimsical nature of Christmas. I yeah. get that. Um, but it's always interesting to me the the kind of push and pull between those holidays on these mm -hmm. films. Yeah. So, you ready to get into the movie Let's get proper? into the movie. All right. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we are going to get into the 2001 film, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Or, if you're an American, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. <laughs> We'll see you in just a moment. All right, we're back and the movie begins as all great films <laughs> should start with John Williams just doing the Lord's work, uh, <laughs> just putting out iconic theme after iconic theme and this movie has several that he puts in place that will be used through all eight of the upcoming films so this this is one of those scores i would put up there with the empire strikes back or uh the superman score from 1979 or uh against honestly most of his best work yeah. as long-lasting film music uh and this music also sets a tone for this film that I would say elevates it from, if it was any other music, um, th this movie is a product of the sum of its parts and, yeah. and you remove any one or two of them. And this movie goes from being really good, uh, family friendly movie to just, okay. Yeah, uh, for I, horror or <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I, I think that if you change some things, it changes yeah. genres. But I'm I'm talking about the quality, yes. not yes. not the content. I'm I'm talking about going from uh, this movie. I would easily put as far as franchises as top ten uh, franchises that you would want to utilize and and consume. Whereas if you take away different parts of it, this could be, this could be so forgetful yeah. uh, because the bare bones plot of this film is the same as every other yes. hero's journey that you've seen. Yes. And so without John Williams or the set design uh, or the actors, any one of those mishandled, it takes this thing down from, I would say a, 
a triple-A class film down to a single-A or B or even C class film if you don't have all these parts. Yeah. So John Williams' score right off the bat sets this first impression that says you are in for a magical ride. Yes. And without that score, I don't think the film feels nearly as magical. I agree. So uh, right off the bat, we are on Privet Drive. Uh, and hey, Americans, if you weren't uh, ready, you are in Great Britain. Yeah. And right off the bat, we have, it's dark. There are owls around. There's a wizard and a cat. Uh, and the wizard walks out. Uh, and if he didn't seem out of place already, he sucks the light out of street lamps into what looks like a cigarette lighter. Yeah, and I was trying to figure out what he was doing. Uh, well, he was trying to give himself some cover in the most conspicuous way possible. <laughs> if anybody saw it, they'd be like, wait a minute, that's... <laughs> so when I read the original book, uh, well, let's describe the way it happens in the film. Okay. In the film, he holds out this lighter and the light flies from the lamp yes. to the cigarette lighter and yes. in a ball shape. And so it's the most conspicuous thing you could possibly right. have. When I read the book, the way I read it was because the device in the book and is mentioned in the films is a deluminator. When I read about it in the book, the way I read it and imagined it was he made the lights go down and go out. Uh -huh. But it was just like they just died. It wasn't like the... Yes, it was almost like having a dimmer switch that you could use remotely. Right. Now, that doesn't look nearly as magical or as whimsical, right. and I understand that it doesn't play as well visually. Yeah. However, if you're trying to be inconspicuous, if you're trying to, shall we say, be a magical wizard <laughs> character and be kind of quirky, but do it under cover of darkness, it makes a little bit more sense to yeah. operate that way. That said, as we go through this film, none of the way that any magical character operates fits in the logic or reality of the real world. Right. Um, in such a way, and I'll go ahead and say it now, that my headcanon, after watching this movie, thinking about it, we recently have watched through the Addams Family films. Uh, the Addams Family are wizards. The Addams Family walk around in normal surroundings uh, and they have weird sense of humor, of enjoyment, of quirkiness, the things they find amusing. They are able to do supernatural things and survive supernatural events, yeah. uh, and yet don't think anything about them. And normalcy is what's weird and off to them. I think the Adams family are a family of magical uh, yeah. individuals, or they're the muggle relatives of <laughs> wizards. And yeah. I legitimately think if you plug them into the Harry Potter universe, if when they go to uh, Diagon Alley, uh, when they go and they visit all the shops and all the, the weird things in the movie, the Adams Family be right at home. Yeah, perfectly normal. Yes, because everything in the wizarding world is totally bass backwards from anything <laughs> that we do. Uh, but it's there. It's totally fine. Yeah. And we'll get into more of that as we continue. Right. But meanwhile, back on Privet Drive. Surprise, surprise, the cat's a lady, Professor McGonagall, greeted by uh, none other than Professor Dumbledore. And at this point, we get some not-so-veiled exposition. Are the rumors true? Yes, I'm afraid they all are, the good and the bad. 
and we get just some great setup here. They don't give you too much exposition, mm -hmm. but just enough to know, hey, something went bad and uh, what's about to happen is special. Uh, and if you didn't know that already, I'm sorry, they don't make movies about not special people that <laughs> make millions of dollars. Um, at this point, Robbie Coltrane uh, flies in as a giant on a motorcycle. And this is the moment where I'm in. Uh, <laughs> this is where all of uh, all of the quirkiness just comes forward in a, in a perfect picture of what this movie uh, will accomplish and, and draws you into. Uh, you have this big, just hairy giant on a on an old motorcycle uh, carrying a baby in the sidecar. Uh, we learned that this giant, uh, this lovable giant played by Robbie Coltrane, is Hagrid, uh, and that this child, Harry, uh, will be special because the movie now tells us this child will be special. Uh, I already noted that John, John Williams makes this movie better, but my notes say so right here. Um, <laughs> Uh, but at this point, uh, Dumbledore and McGonagall argue back and forth about whether this child should be raised in the magical world or in ours, um, noting that uh, everybody there would know who he is and thank him. And Dumbledore says, yes, that's exactly the reason why you should. Um, and as we'll learn a little bit later, uh, maybe maybe some bad plotting on Dumbledore's part. Yeah, uh, at least put him somewhere where he'll be raised by good people. Well, maybe <laughs> have him put somewhere where he is going to be, I don't know, loved, cared yeah. for, taught the value of human life, um, taught I that... Mean, his big thing was he wanted him to be raised by family, but I'm like, his family, they put him in a cupboard and well, treated we're, him. We're about to get to that. Yeah. So let's just jump on over to the Dursleys. <laughs> and right off the bat, I put that Dudley is a garbage pail kid. Yeah. If you don't know what the garbage pail kids are, like my wife didn't until I a did few not. moments ago, uh, you can Google it. Make sure your safe search is on. There are some not safe for work results if you don't. Uh, and his parents, uh, Vernon and Petunia, are not any better. Uh, so Dudley is doing garbage, like running up and down the stairs, stomping, stomping every step of the way, knowing that his cousin is underneath in the small, small little broom closet uh, that apparently maybe has a mattress Yeah. Uh, that is a bedroom for Harry. And uh, after this, uh, Harry goes into the kitchen and talks with his aunt and uncle who are just jerks. Mm -hmm. And Dudley is in there complaining because he's got so many presents, but not as many as last year. Yeah. And it's his birthday, for crying out loud, he needs to get everything he wants. So, my notes in this part in the movie said, if you relate to anyone in this <laughs> scene in the kitchen, you need therapy. Yeah. If you relate to if you relate to Dudley, you are a terrible person. <laughs> yeah. You need to sell all you have and take all the proceeds and give them to the poor. And begin a short-term life of poverty. Because yeah. you are a terrible materialistic person. Yeah. <laughs> if you relate to this character. If you are Vernon and you don't care but you hate your nephew just because your wife tells you to, you have no empathy, you have a problem. And if you are like Petunia, then you need to go to therapy because you've got some sister issues, you've got some problems, yeah. and uh, might be a little racist, and <laughs> you 
also need therapy. Now, if you are like Harry, then you are the victim of abuse. And I want to tell you right now, uh, you're not a bad person, but if you follow some cues that Harry follows in the next couple of scenes, I want to warn you, you are on your way to becoming a psychopath. <laughs> and you desperately, my friend, need help because you have endured great trauma. Uh, you've lost something very valuable to you and life is hard and the people around you are not supportive at all. I want you to know you are loved, you are valued, but for the love of all that's holy, go to therapy before you get revenge on all of us. Yeah. <laughs> because you are well on your way to becoming a super villain. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, so at this point, everybody in the family goes to the zoo because it's Dudley's birthday. and. I don't know that that's an answer to my question that I write in the notes, but I, I guess it could be. My question is, why is everyone in school but Harry and Dudley? So in the zoo, there are kids in school uniforms. Mm -hmm. uh, no other children present in any scene with Harry and Dudley uh, and the Dursleys. And they are not in school. It is apparently during the school year, yeah. judging from the scene. So my response to that was, it's the weekend and these kids are in boarding school just on a weekend trip with their school. And they wore uniforms to identify, to be identified with the school so that if they get separated, you can see, easily see from the distance. I've never been to boarding school. I don't know how boarding school works, but that's my, my theory on that. All right, so full disclosure right now, I have a prejudice against homeschool kids. So <laughs> I'm going to say that uh, Harry and uh, Dudley are just the product of homeschooling, and so uh, thanks a lot. <laughs> so, oh, I know you were homeschooled, and and this is a not so thinly uh, veiled <laughs> insult towards that system. Um, but uh, and if any of you have any problems uh, with me having a problem with homeschooling, uh, you can write to uh, dumpster at garbage dot com. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> uh, while they're there, they go to the reptile house because that's what all young boys do when they're at the zoo. It's usually the first or second stop. It is one of I the- I mean, it's always at the front of the zoo. That's where we went to the zoo this weekend. That was basically our first stop at the zoo was the-, the Yeah, it was one of the first stops. Reptile house. Um, but uh, at this point, Harry goes up to that. Is it anaconda tank? A massive, massive, massive snake. Um, and the snake pokes its head up and comes to eye level with him, and he's just chatting with it. And the snake is shaking and his head and yes and, and no. And the snake is responding to verbal stimuli. So, if you've ever been to the zoo and a snake rises up, I don't care that it's behind enough glass that it would stop <laughs> bullets, you should be reacting emotionally. You should have some fear, some nervousness, or be calling like, Uncle Verna, Uncle Verna, Uncle Verna, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Yeah. But no, Harry's like, hey man, what's you, up? I'm cool with you. You look you like- You understand me. You look like the devil. <laughs> I've, I'm sure you're absolutely fine. So then Dudley sees the snake. He's like, oh, this is awesome. Come over, check this out. And starts banging on the glass. After pushing like, Harry down. Like the absolute trash monster he is. And Harry gets pushed down by his fat, just terrible, horrible, sadistic cousin. And, you know, 
I can understand being angry in that moment. But then his cousin falls into the cage after Harry unknowingly. Acts, oh, I think he knew what he I was doing. I don't think he knew. I I think in that moment he was like, I wish the glass was gone. And then it happens. Yeah. And he smiles. He does not he laughs. He laughs. He does not react in shock and like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Dudley, Dudley, are you all right, man? No. I don't care how terrible. If if the person I hated most in the world was right in front of me and fell into a venomous snake pit, <laughs> I'm going to go, oh God, oh God, oh God, are you all right? Are you all right? Are you right? He, let's get you. No. Harry laughs. And this goes to my statement that Harry is a psychopath. Harry has been traumatized just to the point that, I gotta be honest, if a pack of matches fell into his hand, he is lighting that house on fire with <laughs> everyone in it. Yeah. And he would laugh the whole time. So uh, Dudley falls in, Harry laughs, um, and as soon as they leave, Harry is just verbally and mentally abused by the Dursleys. Yeah. And at this point, even out in public, the Dursleys are way too physical with Harry. Yeah. And it's at this point that I know there is no way that the Dursleys have, have not been visited by Department of Children's Services. <laughs> because, oh my gosh, they are rough with this kid. Yeah. And, and that's just outside the home. If they came in and saw what they were doing to this kid, yeah. the, the Dursleys would be in jail. Yeah. But it was the 90s. It was a different time. Um, <laughs> So at this point, uh, owls start showing up and dropping off letters for Harry uh, to Hogwarts School of Wis Witchcraft and Wizardry. And I note at this point that wizards don't pay postage, uh, apparently. Oh, it's owl postage. Where is that on the letter? It's nowhere on the letter. Yeah, All the other letters. It's just, it's, it's just handed to the owls and the owls take it. It's kind of like courier pigeons, but with owls. So this goes to my next <laughs> point, and that's the wizard's fully believe in the enslavement of lesser creatures. We'll get into that more in the next film. Yeah. Uh, but uh, wizards, uh, not great people. Uh, totally behind slavery. Uh, <laughs> I note that there are too many owls in one location. Um, there are just owls everywhere outside. And it legitimately looks like a scene from The Birds uh, by Alfred <laughs> Hitchcock. Um, and there would be so much poop and dead mice everywhere. Uh, people would be complaining to animal control left and right. Uh, it's at this point that I note that this would be a horror movie for everyone but Harry, um, because all this stuff is happening. And I told Betsy, if it were not for John Williams setting the tone with his score that says, this is whimsical and magical, everything that you are witnessing is terrifying. And if you have a slightly more sinister music cue behind the yeah. scene, it is a horror movie. Um, so at this point, mail starts flying into the house, through the chimney, through the mail slot, uh, and the Dursleys, instead of taking a reasonable precaution, which is, hey, we're going to leave town for a few days, uh, they go to the most remote island getaway anywhere. Now, I do believe in the book that they went to a hotel first to try to get away, and there's an in-between step. But we're not talking about the book, we're talking, talking about, about the movie. movie. And so they take a giant leap. Uh, in trying to get away. and It was like a cottage that was falling apart, it looked like. It was not a... So, right off the bat... I don't understand where The Dursleys were. are just, like, checking off every mark on the horror playbook of, 
let's get murdered by an axe murderer. <laughs> um, and while they're there, all of a sudden, Harry, uh, just in one of the saddest scenes in the film, makes a dust birthday cake yeah. for himself and blows out the candles. At this point, a giant monster starts banging down the shack, knocks down the door, and I note that uh, Hagrid, our lovable giant, would be terrifying to anyone who didn't know him. Yeah. Uh, so Hagrid uh, faces off with the Dursleys, bends the shotgun that they're going to blow his head off with. Yeah. Um, tells Dursley to dry up. And uh, at this point, Harry's handed the letter and... I gotta be honest, I'm underwhelmed. Uh, because <laughs> after all this pageantry of sending the owls, after blowing up their house with letters, it's just kind of boring, kind of quaint. It's like, hey man, we got a, we got a school over here and uh, it's for upscale rich kids and uh, we think you ought to come. Um, but uh, Dudley at this point decides to uh, steal the cake that was made for Harry and uh, Hagrid uh, half turns him into a pig. And Harry and uh, uh, Harry Dudley. That'd be a different movie, and I would watch it. Uh, Harry and uh, Hagrid bounce, and uh, Hagrid kind of low key lets Harry know, "Hey, I wasn't really supposed to do that, so I'd appreciate it if you didn't tell yeah. anybody." And the abuse continues. Um, <laughs> so uh, at this point in the movie, we go to what I call um, the boring part, because for the next half hour. Harry and Hagrid are just doing errands. They're just doing the stuff that, you know, it's Friday, you know, you, your school kids- School starts Monday. School starts <laughs> Monday. So they go shopping for school supplies. Uh, and I uh, I say, all right, let's use magic to make this less boring. And it's only marginally less boring. Um, and I note at this point, I wonder what the wizard equivalent of Amazon is and could the owls handle it? Um, I mean, we do see later on in the movie where the owl does drop a larger package off for Harry. It dro it drops off a broom, a which broom. which with wrapping paper would be in the ballpark <laughs> of three to five pounds, which yeah. is impressive for a small owl. But what's more impressive is that how many times in life have you ever, ever had a package, like a decent package of a book, and it's less than, I don't know, four pounds, five yeah. pounds? Especially with the tomes they're carrying. These are 20 pound books each. Yeah. yeah. So at this point, I note that everywhere go Harry goes, he's celebrated uh, as a child. And there's no way that affects him. Uh, <laughs> when everyone comes up and is like, thank you, thank you. Oh, you're so magnificent. Oh. Like, I don't even know what happened. <laughs> yep. Uh, Harry then goes to the bank um, because we need to continue our errands. And he's rich. And it's at this point that I note, uh, to spoil the movie, uh, you cannot save the world if you aren't a rich orphan. <laughs> Think about it. Superman. Yeah. Batman. Yeah. Luke Skywalker. His dad is second in command of the Empire. His foster parents own a moisture farm. Moisture farm? Yes. So... You have to have the means to be able to yeah. go places, so you need money. And then you need to be an orphan because you cannot be tied down True. Uh, or you can't go on your adventure. Yeah. So you cannot save the world if you are not a rich orphan. So anybody who has parents, your parents love you, appreciate that, but you can't save the world. <laughs> um, 
At this point, I note that John Hurt is great as Ollivander uh, of Ollivander's Wands. And it's at this point in the movie uh, to let you know uh, that Betsy and I had our wands uh, noted for us over uh-huh. on the Wizarding World website. Um, also noting in this point, there is more fate and destiny in every conversation that Harry has with anyone that I wonder how many times he heard it and he finally got bored of it. Just, <laughs> well, Harry, at this pub, your your father was having a pint with, with old Jackalope. And Jackalope said, ah, we need to take down the Dark Lord. And then... And just every conversation is about how he is just full of fate and destiny, and it has to get old. So uh, Harry is told that the uh, one that chooses him is from the same phoenix feather uh, that a certain dark wizard, uh, Mr. You-Know-Who, Mr. V, we'll call him, uh, used to uh, kill Harry's parents. Uh, so, at this point in the movie, uh, we will let you know that what our wands were. So, for Betsy, she had a silver limewood uh, wand with a unicorn hair core. It is 10 inches long and slightly yielding uh, in flexibility. I had a poplar wood uh, also with unicorn hair uh, core. Uh, I like to think it's the same unicorn because, you know, soulmates and all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's 13 and three quarters inches long and supple flexibility, uh, which means absolutely nothing because we don't actually have them. It's all fake, but it's a (laughs) lot of fun to play along with the movie. Um, So at this point, we learn who Voldemort is. Uh, We learn the name Voldemort uh, and how ridiculous a name it is. Um, But apparently no one wants to say his name. And uh, we learned that Voldemort is the person who murdered Harry's parents. Uh, at this point in the movie, I realize we are only 30 minutes in. <laughs> You've got a full page. And I have a full page of notes. <laughs> we are also quickly approaching uh, the end of our first segment of recording. So I'm going to pause us here <laughs> and we will come back with more Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Or Sorcerer's Stone if you're in America. And we're back. And at this point in the movie, if you've had enough fate and destiny and magic wands, uh, well, it's all right, because we're going to go to a train station now. And we're going to learn that in the wizarding world, child safety is kind of, well, (laughs) at this point, I'm starting to understand where Dumbledore's head was at when he gave Harry to the Dursleys. Because while they're abusive... At no point were they going to flat out murder Harry <laughs> or or put him in a scenario where at any moment he could die horribly. Uh-huh. Um, so the first note of this that we're going to see in the movie is, is just mild child abandonment. Um, but within uh, about 30 minutes, we're going to get... We're going to get dark, so I'm just warning you now. Uh, The movies take a while to get dark as far as their tone and and their shooting color palette. Uh, If you really think about it, they're dark from the beginning, so I'm just going to ease you right into this. So uh, they head over to King's Cross Station in uh, London, one of the 
largest train stations in Europe. Uh, and we get there and Hagrid says, all right, here's your ticket. And hands him a ticket that says platform nine and three quarters. At this point, Harry is looking at his ticket. Says, hey, that's a weird number, Hagrid. What do I do with this? Looks around. Hagrid is gone. Hagrid is, Hagrid is eight feet tall. <laughs> he literally threw the ticket at Harry and bounced. There is, he should... He should be maybe 20 feet away, and Harry should be like, Hey, Hagrid! Hagrid! Yeah, Harry! Hagrid! Hey! Could could you explain something to me? <laughs> no, I'm already halfway to the car. All right, cool. I'll ask someone else. But no, Hagrid is gone. Yeah. So, Harry goes around looking around like any 11-year-old would, and goes to an adult uh -huh. who you think would be understanding. And he goes, hey, I've got this ticket. And and the guy is such a jerk. He's like, hey, are you pulling my leg? And then walks away. Right, he doesn't even try to help him. Like, no parents with this kid. To be fair, at this point, I think my case falls apart. Because even in our world, ch child services, not a thing. Again, it was the 90s. It was a different time. Um, so, fortunately, at this point, uh, there are some people who are very out of place, who are talking very loudly about where they're going. Yeah. Platform nine and three quarters. Oh, we don't want to get caught by the muggles. So let's talk very conspicuously. And so he gets over. He meets the Weasleys, who just have a terrible last name. And we'll get into it later. Um, but... Uh, they say, all right, you got to get a good running start. And they run towards this pillar. And fortunately, they do it before him. Because if not, I would think I was being punked. Yes. Um, but uh, Harry runs through and magically comes out on the other side, platform nine and three quarters. And there is a ma majestic 1800-style locomotive. Uh, and it's steam-powered because uh, why have an electric chain train that, you know, doesn't burn coal or yeah. anything like that. No, it's all right. Magic. We'll explain it away with magic. So we get on the train. Uh, Harry and Ron share a cart together. Um, and uh, they're coming around offering treats. And uh, Ron is just, he's just pathetic. He's got like maybe a sandwich. I'm not sure what it is. It's a ball. Yeah, it's a just bag of something. bunched up. Just, he's like, no, I'm good. I don't have any money. And yeah. Harry just just showing off. Pulls out gold coins to <laughs> like pay I for... buy the whole cart. Yeah. Buys, buys the whole cart. The whole lot. Yes. So, at this point in the movie, I asked Betsy, do they have paper money? Because I feel like it would get really bulky to carry around gold coins yeah. everywhere. And be very heavy. Uh, you would need a pair of suspenders in addition to your belt to hold your pants up. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, at this point, we meet Scabbers, uh, who's Ron's pathetic rot. Also, Ron, who is... Rot? Huh? Rot. Ron. He said his pathetic rot. His pathetic rat. <laughs> also, Ron, also yeah, yeah. pathetic. Yeah. Uh, at this point, we also meet Hermione, uh, who is a mean know-it-all and uh, is a mean girl. Just low-key, just 
throwing shade at everyone. She comes in with like whirlwind and is like, just it is the way she says it is in her mind. Everything is just so. Yes. So and, today we call these people the people who tell it like it is. Um, and pardon my French, but I like to call these people assholes. <laughs> so maybe don't. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe be a little bit kinder and yeah. a little bit more soft-spoken, Hermione. Yeah. Um, she's a, she's definitely the person that if I was in that car and when she walked away, I'd be like, man, I hope I never come across her. I hope again. I never see her yeah. again. If we're going to the same school. I just, uh, maybe we'll be in separate areas. Maybe we'll be in separate houses. Maybe. We'll, uh, <laughs> maybe. Spoiler alert. They're not. Um, <laughs> Uh, at this point in the movie, I also note that everyone is extremely flippant with these wands. Um, so we <laughs> we saw in a flashback that uh, these wands are used to kill people. Yeah. And so effectively, these are loaded guns, and these are a bunch of 11-year-olds just playing with them. At one point, Hermione points her wand point blank at yeah. Harry's face and goes, I've got a spell. And if I were Harry, I'd be like, no, 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 no. Let me take them off. Let me take the glasses off. But no, that's not that's not what happens. She pulls the trigger, and luckily, for all Hermione's fault of being just a, a little too free with her opinion, she knows stuff. So yeah. she she uses her spell and fixes Harry's glasses instead of blowing his head off his shoulders. Uh, but all through the rest of this scene, wands are just being used everywhere and yeah. no one, and they've not been taught how to use them. <laughs> yeah. So I, I gave the illustration to Betsy while we were watching the movie of this is handing an 11 year old, a loaded gun and going, all right, now be responsible with this. I'm going to go get a beer. Um, <laughs> don't do anything irresponsible. The hunter safety course is in two weeks. Just hang on to that. Here's a box of ammunition. Yeah. All right. We'll see you at school. Yeah. Child endangerment. This is exhibit two. All right. <laughs> so we get to Hogwarts and this, this is one of the scenes that uh, immediately catches you as you're watching. I want to say on the DVD or Blu-ray, this is one of the menu shots where you get this opening view of Hogwarts when you come in and it's, it's dark because it's night and, but it's majestic yeah. and it's got this grand sense of scale and majesty. Um, and because these students, it's their first time experiencing Hogwarts, you get to see it through their eyes and, and they are your, um, they fill in for you in the movie and they are experiencing everything for the first time. Yeah. Um, there's a word for that and I've forgotten it. We're going to keep moving. All right. Um, so at this point we meet uh, Professor McGonagall uh, from the student's point of view and right here, I've got the note later, uh, but every time we see a professor and the children are in the shot, we get an upward shot of the professor uh, because they're an authority figure and they're big. And mm -hmm. it's, it's the way little kids see adults. They're big, they're scary. They're the authority. And it's kind of frightening, uh, but uh, it's a interesting cinematic ch choice that I really appreciate. 
Um, we get a points primer uh, from uh, Professor McGonagall, uh, knowing that you can earn or lose points for your house. Um, and they're about to be sorted in. We also meet Neville Longbottom, uh, who is just a lovable mess in this film <laughs> and in most of the films to follow. Um, at this point, we meet wizard and white supremacist uh, Draco Malfoy. Yeah. Um, who just, yeah, he's racist. Yeah, yeah. against muggles, against uh, anyone who's not white. All of his friends are white, just letting you know. <laughs> um, and we now get to the Great Hall. Again, super fantastic sense of scale and majesty. Um, a little bit of danger. Uh, there are floating candles everywhere. And uh, a note from, again, the internet, uh, which has never led anyone astray. Uh, <laughs> the candles in the scene as you're watching the film are mostly a practical effect. Um, they were hung via a special cord uh, suspended, uh, lit, mm -hmm. and for most of the shoot, there wasn't an issue until the flame got hot enough that it did make the cord break and fell. <laughs> didn't hurt anyone, but for all future Harry Potter films, the effect will be uh, computer generated. Yeah. So I think it's one of my favorite like views, though. Like when you come in, you see all the floating candles. There's something about that. That view and everything, every time it gets me, whether it's, and I, I kind of assumed that it was CGI on all of them. Yes. But, um, that's just how good, cause it looks real. Yeah. It's a, um, it's a great establishing yeah. shot and, and it's a great tone setter for, yeah. for what this place is. There's like a dinner hall and. Yes. It's very, um, it's very warm, but yeah. somehow also intimidating. Yeah. That's just one of my favorite kind of views of, of it. Anyway. All right. So at this point, uh, Dumbledore, played by Richard Harris, um, makes a couple of notes, uh, basically saying, hey, don't go to the Lost Woods. Uh, you might die. And also don't go to this wing of the uh, uh, of Hogwarts because uh, not only will you die, but it will be horrible. So uh, <laughs> don't do it. Um, yeah, that's it. We're not going to we're not going to lock it off or anything. Just don't go over there. Yeah. That's it. So uh, my note here is safety is not a thing for wizards. Um, at this point, we're introduced to the sorting hat, which is a weird old crusty hat that talks. And uh, I note that it weirds me out and it still does. Uh, if I don't know if this exists at uh, Harry Potter uh, world and Universal Studios, but if it does, don't let that thing touch me. Don't <laughs> let it touch me. It is terrifying. I've got this... I've watched enough old horror movies and this thing will eat your head. <laughs> like it's people feel safe with it. They shouldn't. <laughs> that thing's got teeth. Uh. I know it, but all of our heroes are sorted to Gryffindor. Uh, all of our villains are sorted to Slytherin and anybody else who's a side character gets put in a Hufflepuff or Ravenclaw. Uh, so that'll tell you right now if it's like, uh, alright. Yeah, you're going to Ravenclaw. Yeah, you're Hufflepuff. Oh, you look you look like a racist. Yeah, you're going to Slytherin. <laughs> oh, you're friends with Harry. You're going to Gryffindor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you're not one of those houses, I'm sorry. You're also expendable. I just want you to know. Uh, no one who has, uh, who has 
died on screen while attending Hogwarts um, was actually a part of Gryffindor. Um, that's uh, not a fact, but I'm saying it with authority, so you're going to accept <laughs> it as fact. Now we did the... Um... Ah, uh, well, we yes. Did the, we did so the, uh, we were the, sorted. Now we, hats. because of COVID, we did not put the hat on that <laughs> and I would burn it with fire. Um, but we were sorted. And uh, where were you sorted, I my dear? I was Gryffindor. Yay! Another hero to Gryffindor. Yay! And I also was sorted to Gryffindor. And so all of you Hufflepuffs and uh, <laughs> Ravenclaws out there, hey, you've got to help make us look good. You've got to help make us Gryffindors look good. Um, and also, uh, if you're a Slytherin, well, I'm sorry that you're a terrible person. I'm sorry that you're awful. Um, I hope that, I, I certainly hope that you uh, learn the error of your ways. And uh, yeah, um, I have yet to see a good Slytherin, so. <laughs> Uh, I'm not saying you don't exist, um, but if if you're a Slytherin and you feel the need to say you're a good person, maybe you're not a good person. <laughs> so, uh, it's okay. Good people on both sides, right? Good people on both sides. Sure. Yeah. Sort of. Never mind. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. Maggie Smith is the British Betty White is my note at this point because uh, the very first thing I ever saw Maggie Smith in that I recall was as uh, Granny Wendy in Hook and she is somehow younger in this. I'm sure it was aging makeup in Hook, but dear Lord, she has stayed the same age forever. She looks exactly the same age in Downton Abbey. <laughs> um, at this point in the movie, uh, ghosts show up uh, at the same time food shows up on the tables. Uh, no one's reacting. These kids have never been to a school with ghosts before, and I'm pretty sure they don't just float around their house. Yeah. And no one is freaking out about ghosts everywhere. <laughs> you watch Ghost Hunters on, you can watch it for free on, on one of the Roku stations, but you watch an episode of Ghost Hunters, if a door creaks, everybody's like, get, to, get out to the car, get out to the car. Yeah, people, it's people behind us, know. it's behind us. I'm scaring the cat. But no, everybody's really cool with these people who have the most hideous defects. John Cleese plays nearly headless Nick, pulls his head over. It is held on by a flap of skin. No one is reacting to that other than a couple uh, of the kids. Like, a couple of the kids go, ew, ew. that's kind of gross. Could you, could you maybe not do that? <laughs> that's kind of the reaction. It's not like, oh, there's a dead guy here. Yeah. Anyway. Again, Adam's family, right at home here. Um, we go to class uh, an indeterminate amount of time later, uh, and Harry and Ron are late. Um, everyone is doing homework, even though no one is talking. Um, we then go over to Potions class with uh, Severus Snape, played delightfully by Alan Rickman, and Alan Rickman is a treat uh, in this film and in anything that he was in before his passing. Um, and uh, it's at this point that I note that uh, I made the note about most professors being shot uh, from low. There's a lot of Dutch angles uh, to make the professor seem taller, um, very imposing. Uh, we then go over uh, to get flying lessons with Madame Hooch. 
Um, and I say it that way just because you can't say hooch uh, any other way. Um, <laughs> Sorry. That's all right. Uh, it's at this point that I note that there is still an hour and a half left in this movie. Um, and we have been recording for over 40 minutes. Uh, <laughs> Hooch is an absolutely terrible professor. Um, so poor Neville Longbottom gets on the broom, obeys her instructions to, to get it to get off the ground. Can't control it. And instead of going like, all right, no, I know what's happening. You need to back up. You need to you need yeah. to move back. You need to ease off the, the broom a lower on its own or any instruction whatsoever to, to help this poor kid who doesn't know what he's doing relax. I remember my dad trying to teach me to drive a stick shift and he would be like, all right, a little bit more clutch, a little less brake, a little bit more brake, a little bit more gas. He would give me instructions to kind of tell me what to do to make the car go or stop. Uh And even if I did it badly, I would get in the general zone of where I'm supposed to be. Um, Now, he got whiplash, but, you know, (laughs) the general gist of what needed to happen was being communicated from one party to the other. Um, Madam Hooch proceeds to yell at poor Neville Longbottom, Get down from there! Get, Get down, down right there! Yeah. He, the kid's 10 feet in the air. He is terrified. And she's screaming at him. Get down from there! Get down from there! Get down this minute! Stop it! And he's Stop like, it. I don't know how. Yeah, so she's awful. Um, so, of course, he breaks his arm because she's awful. And she t- takes him off to the nurse's station, whispering all the way, Now, we're not going to tell anybody about this. You <laughs> felt I tried to stop you, but you wouldn't listen. Um no, yeah. that's not in there. On screen. I know it <laughs> happened because she would get fired. But she's telling the other kids while she's walking away, don't you dare get on those brooms. <laughs> yeah. I note at this point that Malfoy's an ass because uh, he steals Longbottom's remember all. Um, and then Harry chases him down. Uh, and Harry just, like a fish to water, just flies this broom yeah. like he better than he walks. I mean, yeah. when he walks, it's more awkward than when he flies a broom. Um, now, McGonagall sees this and immediately, immediately goes, oh, you're coming with me. You're coming and with he me. he thinks he's in trouble. <laughs> she marches him over and signs him up for, for Quidditch uh, so fast uh, that I have to note that uh, even in the Wizarding World, there are some things that are similar to our own, and that is that uh, in public education, uh, academics come second to athletics. Um, so, all right. So it's late at night. Uh, the kids are wandering the halls, uh, because they're kids. It's what they do. Uh, I note at this point that Filch's cat is huge. It's an absolutely massive cat. Um, and then I note that so is the three headed dog. Um, talk about huge. Yes. So, uh, as they get back to their common house, uh, Hermione, who is paired up with the two boys in the uh, uh, in the house, Gryffindor says, "Oh, I we've got to work on this. We could be killed or worse, expelled." And the guys make a cute joke about her needing to get her priorities straight. And it's at this point in the movie that I know that everything in this world will kill you. If it's not the wands, if it's not the neglectful teachers uh, or professors or caretakers or adults, uh, it's a giant three-headed dog. Um, 
we meet Warwick Davis as Professor Flitwick, um, who will look dramatically different in this film and its sequel, immediate sequel, uh, to films three through eight. Um, in this film and in the next one, I believe, he is under very heavy prosthetics, whereas uh, in films three through eight, he just has a toupee and a mustache. Um, oh. Warwick Davis is also uh, the voice of one of the uh, goblins at uh, Gringotts. Um, that dwarf or that goblin was played by none other than Vern Troyer um, of Mini Me fame. Uh, so uh, Hermione is just teacher's pet, able to get her uh, feather to fly away. And then uh, Seamus Finnegan uh, apparently can't use his wand without blowing things up. And again, <laughs> Loaded gun. Um, we go over to the uh, the Great Hall, and I note that wizards don't eat real food because there are cakes and pies, donuts. There are maple donuts, which makes me really hungry. And hint, hint, I need you to make some. Um, <laughs> but the only non-sweet that's around is a naturally sweet food yeah. it is it is apples and that is it and they're red apples so they're sweeter than yes. green apples so it's all carbs and sugar yeah um so this is uh, immediately after ron not honestly again telling it like it is hurts hermione's feelings so again guys maybe telling it like it is not a, <laughs> some things can be kept to yourself Everyone's got opinions, okay? It's okay that you've got an opinion. I've got an opinion. Betsy has an opinion. And as a wise friend once told me, opinions are like anuses. Everyone has them, but no one wants to hear about it. And we move on. Uh, the only time we want to hear about it is in your podcast. So please go record your yeah. podcast and we won't download it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Old uh, Professor Quirrell comes in and screams that there's a troll in the dungeon and passes out. Uh, Ron and Harry know that Hermione's nowhere around and go to uh, save her. And we get some bad 2001 CGI with the troll. Um, but not only that, uh, but this troll is a is just a moron. Uh, so he has uh, Hermione, you know, cornered and is going after her and, and she escapes and I'm like alright this is understandable how this is happening Harry goes to save Hermione mm -hmm. the troll grabs him by the legs and has a club and proceeds to take three swings uh -huh. and cannot hit the boy who is half his size with this seven foot club that he's holding in place. That he is holding in place. Uh, yeah, he's a moron. Uh, so uh, Ron uses Hermione's tip to use Wingardium Leviosa uh, to make the troll's uh, mallet or club. club float in the air and then knock him out. Um, this is after uh, Harry shoved his wand up the troll's nose. Um, <laughs> the troll is knocked unconscious and uh, as... Harry pulls it out, we get troll bogeys. Uh. And for those of you who aren't British, that means boogers. Yep. Uh, at this point in our review and the film, we're going to take a brief break. When we return, 
we're going to find out the aftermath. And we're back. I hope you're on a road trip because there is no way that your commute is long enough for this episode. <laughs> All right. So uh, coming out of the bathroom, the professors run up just in time to be late. Um, and instead of stumbling upon the corpses of three children like they were hoping, uh, they find three alive children. <laughs> they were hoping. <laughs> oh, the way, the way adults move in here, they, I think they want the children to die. There is, okay, there's neglect, and then there is active non-participation in the presence of danger. <laughs> if if you know there's danger and you don't move to prevent it, that's murder. <laughs> True. Uh, so as they come out, uh, the teachers ask what was happening, and all anyone has to say in this moment is the truth. Yeah. Hey, uh... Hermione's like, hey, I was in the bathroom. I, I had to go to the bathroom. Um, and Ron and Harry were like, we didn't see her. We wanted to make sure she was okay. We came to find her. And the professor's like, cool. That was really dangerous and dumb, but we, we appreciate you. We're going to take you back to the... We're going to take you back. But instead, Hermione goes, I went to look for the troll. Yeah, it doesn't make sense why she would... Holy crap. Why would you say that? That is unnecessary blame to take. The truth would, would have been better anyway. And yes. Easier so, to... so she loses 10 points for Gryffindor. And then Harry and Ron make up the difference by getting points back for sheer dumb luck. <laughs> uh, yeah. that, the, the people handing out points to houses are usually the heads of those houses. I'm going to tell you right now, there's some corruption going on between <laughs> academics and point systems. There's some, there's some not cool stuff going on at Hogwarts. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about the trying to kill kids. Um, <laughs> so uh, the next day, uh, Snape comes up uh, with a bandaged, I want to say arm or leg, uh, talking to talking to everyone, and he's like, all right, Mr. Potter, uh, well, let's hope that you're all right tomorrow. And he says it in a really weird way. I'm like, um, hey, Snape, uh, was that a threat? Was that a threat, Snape? Were you threatening me? And no one says what they mean. Everyone's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be really sneaky about this. And uh, yeah. So Harry gets uh, a new broom, the Nimbus 2000, delivered via Owl, and I'm like, man, I want to meet that Owl because it it has made some gains muscle-wise. <laughs> um, so we meet Oliver Wood. Yes, his name is Filthy. Um, and he belongs in a James Bond movie. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's okay. Look, look up the actor. His real name is just as dirty. Um, <laughs> He tells Harry that it's okay to have brain damage as they go into their Quidditch match. He's like, yeah, I don't really remember what it was like the first time I did it because I woke up like a week and a half later yeah. in a hospital room. <laughs> two plus two is seven. <laughs> yeah. Uh, CTE. Uh, apparently Quidditch has the same rules as Bloodsport, by the way, um, in that there are no rules because... People are actively trying to kill each other on these rooms. <laughs> yeah. Hundreds of feet in the air. 
and pe- knocking people, knocking each other off. Knocking each other off, actively hitting each other, yeah. driving them into just... And the adults are just cheering them on. They're like, yeah, daddy needs a new Porsche. Come on. <laughs> All kinds of gambling going on on it. It's just like college sports. Um, so at this point, Harry sees the snitch is going after it. And his broom just starts acting up. Uh, just like that old car you had in high school that you couldn't get to work quite right. Um, comes to... Uh, Hermione and Ron discover that Harry is being hexed. It looks like it's by Snape. So they go over and they set Snape on fire because that's the responsible thing to do. (laughs) Um, The curse stops, so Harry's able to catch the snitch, which wins the game. Um, After the game, uh, they go and they start talking to Hagrid, who spills way, way too much exposition. Um about uh, Fluffy and the trap door. Uh, Fluffy's the three-headed dog, by the way. Um, (laughs) At this point in the movie, we get Christmas at Hogwarts and Wizard's Chess. So Hermione's going to go home to her family like a lot of the other students. Meanwhile, Harry's going to stay because he doesn't have anyone who loves him. Aww. Oh, he's got lots of money. He's fine. Um... (laughs) And Ron's going to stay because the rest of his family's taking a long trip. And I'll be honest, they've got way too many kids. Uh, apparently they're Catholic. Um, <laughs> but uh, Harry gets presents for the very first time in his life, apparently. Uh, like, Ron says, hey, there are presents for you. And Harry's like, for me? Yeah. Because apparently he has been so neglected, he has never gotten a present. And at this point, again, I ask... Where was the Department of Children's Services? Um, and he gets an invisibility cloak, which there's no way that a young preteen man could ever get into trouble with an invisibility cloak. <laughs> um, so Harry uh, does what anybody with the forbidden uh, cloak uh, who hasn't hit puberty yet would do. He sneaks into the forbidden section of the library to find out more about Nicholas Flamel. Uh, who apparently owns the item that's in the uh, the room guarded by Fluffy. And uh, as he's sneaking around, uh, he drops his lantern. Filch discovers it. He sees uh, Snape confronting uh, Professor Quirrell. And as he feels like he's about to be discovered, uh, Filch tells uh, Snape and Quirrell that a student's on the loose. So Harry sneaks into a room uh, to stay out of the way, and inside he discovers the Mirror of Erised. Uh, It's not named at this moment, but it will be shortly, so I'm just going to go ahead and use it. Um, We find out shortly that it shows uh, the user their deepest desire. When Harry looks in, he sees his dead parents. Uh, Whenever Ron looks in, he sees that he's able to stand out and be the class favorite and the, uh, uh, the captain of the Quidditch team. Uh, So, as Harry keeps sneaking to see it, Dumbledore confronts him about it and says, Hey, this thing uh, has caused men to waste away, so I'm going to move it. So, I'm going to ask you, don't go looking for it, because it has killed men. Uh, And he gives a great quote here um, that, honestly, is a great quote to just have on hand. It does not do 
to dwell on dreams and forget to live. I love that. And I'll say that again. <laughs> it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. Um, and I love that in that, hey, life will keep moving. Um, yeah. Your dreams may not. And so you need to remember, even it, it is good, great to have dreams. I encourage you to have dreams. Dream, dream big. Yeah. If it makes you cease to live, maybe maybe you need to reorder some things. Yeah. And just in general, uh, one of the few actually good things that Dumbledore or any adult does for any child in this, um, as opposed to all the times that they will put him in danger. Um, so at this point in the movie, we go over to Hagrid's uh, cottage where we meet his dog, Fang. And I note that it is an absolutely beautiful dog. Uh, Betsy said she thinks it's an English Mastiff. Uh -huh. um, Hagrid has gotten his hands on a dragon's egg. Um, he names the dragon Norbit. Uh, the dragon sets Hagrid's beard on fire. Um, and of course, Malfoy, being a sneaky little white supremacist, um, narks on Hagrid because uh, they didn't invite him. Uh, so everyone involved gets detention. Hagrid has to give away Norbit. Um, and apparently uh, detention is not like detention that I had in school, which is, hey, you need to stay after class and you know write this sentence 400 times. Um, instead, we're gonna send you where you're going to die. Uh, so yeah. you remember the two places where they were like, hey, don't go to these places or you might die a slow and agonizing death. Yeah, we're going to send you there for detention. Uh, so uh, they go into the forest uh, where they immediately find unicorn blood. And so uh, between Hagrid and the four children, uh, I'll say that again, four children, uh, Hagrid goes, all right. I think we need to split up. <laughs> Something is draining unicorns of their blood. And I, the only responsible adult and only armed person on this trip, say we need to split up. Yeah. So uh, Malfoy and Harry uh, get to go with Fang, who, uh, fun line here, uh, is a great coward, according to Hagrid. And uh, as they go in, they come upon the absolutely horrifying cloaked creature who is sucking the blood out of a dead unicorn. Yeah. It is unsettling. Um, so as they see this thing, Malfoy bolts, so does Fang, and Harry's just chilling out, uh, and for the first time in this movie, freaking out because something evil is trying to kill him. And uh, Harry is saved at the last moment by a centaur named Ferenc. Uh... And at this point, uh, we discover that the being that was sucking the blood out of the unicorns is Lord Voldemort. Uh, long thought dead, he is being kept alive by this somehow. Uh, we cycle over to the next day, and Hagrid talks way too much. Uh, and he basically says that, hey, I, there was this cloaked fellow that I was talking to, and he's the one who gave me an orbit. And I told him about how fluffy likes music. Um, <laughs> Harry and Ron and Hermione have the first good thought they've had in a while and they're like okay we need to tell an adult we need to tell an adult now and so they run to Dumbledore's office and he's not there and they tell McGonagall and she's like no he's away what are you are you crazy that thing's safe as can be and uh, this is the point kids where I need you to understand that just because the first adult you told something to didn't listen or they were a bad listener it doesn't mean don't talk to adults 
because apparently this is the lesson that Harry, Ron, and Hermione take away, and it's a bad lesson. I'll be, I'll give them this. Uh, adults in this world are terrible, but um, <laughs> kids, if you're listening, uh, listen and, and 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 communicate with the adults in your life. Odds are pretty good they have your good in mind, uh, and if they don't, uh, talk to another adult in uh, in power. All right, so. Uh, but that they finally talk to an adult and are denied. Uh, so they're going to leave and Neville Longbottom confronts them because they're bleeding points because Harry, Ron, and Hermione are just terrible at keeping the rules. And so they freeze him and knock him out of their way, uh, which seems horrifying. To be awake and aware of everything, but unable to move. And this was the part, I completely missed this part because I fell asleep. That's all right. So they go to uh, try to find the stone. So they get up to the room with Fluffy, find that Fluffy is already asleep. There is a heart playing. They think that Snape has already gotten in. So as they move Fluffy's paw out of the way to get in, they realize that the music has stopped playing, and as they dive through, Fluffy bites after him, but they make it through only in time to get into some ivy that is going to try to smother them. By relaxing, they're able to get through, and we find out that this is the first of, uh, in the book, what is four trials, in the film three, uh, before they get to the room where the stone is being kept. Uh, in the book, uh, the trial was the trial of uh, the plants, uh, the trial of the keys, the trial of potions, and then the wizard's chest trials. Uh, there was one trial for each house, um, even though two of those houses don't really count because they're not Gryffindor or Slytherin. <laughs> um, so, uh, in this, uh, immediately after escaping the plants, they go into a room with a bunch of keys with wings. Uh, one of the keys will unlock the doors while the others will not. Uh, the trick is, once they go after the key, the other uh, keys that are not the correct one will attempt to kill you, uh, because everything in this world will. They're able to get the key, get through the door, and come upon a giant wizard's chest set where I need to make my note about wizard's chest, which is, it is the most destructive thing ever, <laughs> and unreasonably so. If wizard's chest was a real thing, I would not let my kid play, Yeah. because uh, if you watch the original game or this massive game that they play in the trial, every time a piece gets knocked out, it gets destroyed, like broken into multiple pieces that cannot be glued back together. Yeah. So I feel like this game gets very expensive very quickly. So moving back into the, the trial version, uh, they now have to play this game with uh, large pieces that have swords and everything else. And uh, so at this point, uh, losing my place, uh, Ron takes command because he's the best at wizard's chess. And uh, Ron sacrifices himself uh, to win the game. Uh, Harry tells Hermione, hey, get Ron back to the hospital, make sure he's okay. He was going to be useless anyway. Uh, I'm going to go through <laughs> go through and face the adult, even though I barely passed first year magic. And this person probably knows everything that they're doing with the loaded magic <laughs> wand. Uh, so Harry goes through and finds out that it's not Snape. Shock! It's Quirrell, who is kind of broadcast the whole movie that he's the villain. Um, 
But we find out that not only is it Quirrell, as he's using the mirror, a voice is speaking out of the back of his head, and shockers, it's Voldemort. Yeah. And at this point, uh, Voldemort tempts Harry, telling him, hey, I know you can get me the stone. If you get me the stone, we can we can get you everything you want. You, There is no good. There is no evil. There is only power. And at this point, Harry screams that he's a liar. Uh, Voldemort orders Quirrell to kill him. And uh, as Quirrell goes to strangle Harry, Harry grabs his arm to protect himself and turns Quirrell's arm to stone. And then... Uh, because Harry is an absolute psychopath, uh, instead of running away from the now, uh, pardon the pun, disarmed quarrel, uh, he goes and grabs his face and turns him into stone and straight up murders him. Yeah. Uh, at this point, uh, so uh, Quarrel's stone form collapses into dust. Harry's like, ah, did it. Well, the dust starts rising up, um, and it's Lord Voldemort, we're pretty sure. Mm -hmm. um, but my note here is that Harry is knocked out by the flying V. Uh, <laughs> that's a Mighty Ducks joke for you, for those of you who are familiar with it. And if you're not familiar with it, go get Disney Plus, watch the Mighty Ducks, uh, shake your head at the pun, and come back. <laughs> All right, you back? All right. Those were fun movies, weren't they? Not as good as this one, but pr pretty fun. Um, so Harry wakes up in the hospital a few days later, uh, just like old Wood, except Harry can still remember his multiplication tables. Um, we learned that what saved Harry, what gave him the ability to fight off Voldemort, was uh, the love uh, that charmed Harry and protected him from Voldemort's killing curse. Um, we then go over to the last Grand Hall meeting of the year where Slytherin uh, banners are everywhere. They've won because they have the most points. Uh -huh. And as much as you hate them, as much as they are jerks and terrible people, uh -huh. uh, you have to give them they won fair and square in the election uh, with the points they have. You hate them. You hate that they won, but you're like, okay, we get it. But Dumbledore straight up at this point cheats. Cheats not even subtly. He's and like, just, oh, we're going to give you guys Hey, there's some last-minute points to throw out. And it's all for and, Gryffindor. And it's all Gryffindor. No other house gets last-minute points. And Gryffindor wins. And, and at this point, it's not even subtle that he is rooting for the team that he is throwing yeah. points for. He's like, oh, I believe a change of decorations in order. And all the banners change, and everyone's cheering except for Slytherin. And I gotta be honest, they're evil. They are the bad guys in every Indiana Jones movie. But I'm gonna tell you right now, I feel bad for the Slytherins in this point because they're jerks. They've got problems, as as Ron says. No bad, no wizard that ever went bad came out of any house but Slytherin. Uh -huh. um, I feel bad for them because they worked hard all year to get yeah. those points. And and they didn't have old McGonagall or Dumbledore <laughs> throwing <laughs> points at them. And I, I feel bad for them. Uh, Slytherins, you have my pity. Even if you are evil. Um, so uh, the movie ends. Everybody's happy except Slytherin. And everyone's getting back on the train. And 
Hagrid's like, hey, uh, when you when you go home, it's okay if you threaten uh, your relatives with using magic. And Harry's like, well, I'm not allowed to use magic. And, and Hagrid goes, well, they don't know that. And I'm like, oh, so the terrorism begins. Yeah. And the mental and emotional abuse will now be on the other hand. Yeah, didn't he say something along the lines of, if your cousin continues to bother you, tell him you'll give him the ears and snout to go with the tail? Yeah, which is yeah. really messed up. <laughs> I mean, they're they're bad people, but that's also evil. Yeah. So, uh, at this point in the movie, uh, someone says something to Harry about, hey, it's, it's sad that we won't see you when we all go home. And Harry goes, I'm not going home. Not really. And looks back at the castle. And then they get on the train and we fade to the credits. The end. Yeah. And that is the end of the first Harry Potter film. The end of Harry's first year at Hogwarts. And the end of our recap. Yes. And it was very good. So it's it's enjoyable. It's a great world building first film. Yeah. I enjoy it a lot. Um... So Christopher Columbus directed this. Uh, Christopher Columbus, if you're not familiar, uh, Chris Columbus, pardon me, not <laughs> not, not the Christopher Columbus, not, not <laughs> the uh, explorer who uh, quote unquote found the new world and then oppressed mm-hmm. a bunch of native peoples. But um, ironically, we're uh, recording this on Columbus Day, so we will use <laughs> we will use today to celebrate Chris Columbus and uh, his films such as Home Alone, Home Alone Two. Uh, Adventures in Babysitting, Harry Potter uh, and the Philosopher's Stone, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. He is also uh, either a producer or executive producer on all of the films going forward. So even though there will be some production changes that happen, that change things decently, there is a continuity in the actors in most of the roles. Not all the roles, but most of the roles. And in uh, just the general feel of the environments. Yeah. So uh, today, as you celebrate, as we celebrate our Columbus Day, I encourage you to uh, celebrate the works of Chris Columbus. Uh, don't worry so much about the Italian explorer. He he got to end his life with fame, and that's what he deserved. Um, <laughs> nothing more than that. And and he. I'm sure eternally he will, he will get his just desserts. Uh, anyhow, (laughs) guys, thank you so much uh, for joining us this week for, uh, the very first Harry Potter film. We hope you'll join us next week as we come back for Harry Potter and the chamber of secrets. Um, you'll also get to hear us as we have things to talk about that we're enjoying outside of that. We will bring those up. Um, this week we're going to keep it to the film because just with the film and the brief talk at the beginning of this, we are going to be in the ballpark of an hour and a half. Yeah. Uh, I hope you guys have a great week. We will see you around next week with more favorite things. Bye.